0: Log Talk Radio.
1: It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us.
2: Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up to the minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646 716 716. 4972. And now here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin.
1: Welcome, everybody. Good to have you on the podcast. Welcome and happy, happy New Year. Hope you celebrated well. Some companies are off today. Some companies are working. So it depended on how you handled Friday. So anyway, we're glad to have you with us, listening in live with us. We've got some people dialed in uh, or, or logged in and listening live. Got a couple of notes already. And um, they have several things they want to talk about. So it's good. We're going to get right into it. But again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. Again, it's January 3rd. And we've got some interesting things to talk about. Uh, in the Hot Topic segment, we caught up with Shania, Shania, uh, Shania, sorry, Arrington. I'm sorry about that uh i'll say that again so we can cut that part out of when we re-upload it anyway on the hot topic segment we got shana Errington she is chief compliance officer at the money source and we're going to have her on the podcast talking about things that are really related to things we can anticipate in 2022 very good uh shana yeah anyway We'll go edit that out a little bit later. Thanks, Nikki. Appreciate you trying to help me out there. Anyway, so good to have you with us. check out all the podcasts over at Industry Syndicate. We're pleased to be a part of the Industry Syndicate. And uh they do a great job of uh working with us on the um on getting our podcast out as well as many others. Check it out, as well as grateful to have us our sponsors. Um As all our sponsors, I'm getting some notes in from listeners already. Man, can't wait to it. Yeah, we'll get to it in just a minute. Everyone's talking about the big COVID-19 vaccine mandate and what's going on there. It's back. And we'll talk about it in just a minute. But let's get through our sponsors. Thank you so much for the Mortgage Bankers Association. Uh, we're grateful for them. Check out the MBA, uh, the IMB conference that's coming up here in a few weeks in Nashville. Um, I'd be there, but I have to. No, nah, I can't. My wife's got some surgery, so I'm going to stay home, make sure she gets through that well. But we will miss seeing everybody there. But it's a great conference. encourage you to be there. Uh, also, Finastra's Fusion Mortgage About Solution does a great job of helping you at point-of-sale and origination. They interface with so many uh, platforms. I love their open architecture. It's one of the things that Finaster does extremely well. Also, Lenders One. Check out Justin DeMolia's interview we did on June uh, about the vision of Lenders One. We're going to be talking about that. In fact, we've got our upcoming winners' conference uh, in both for the Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. We're going to be at both of them. Check out Mortgage Collaborative and Lenders One. These two associations do a great job of. Are actually more co-ops, they're associations, they're co-ops. Um, they do not compete with the MBAs. That's important. You've got to be a member of the MBA. But these are two organizations that you can be a part of. They'll help you get to know your peers and understand what's going on in companies similar, your, similar to your size. Now, the IMB conference can do that as well. Uh, but these two co-ops are smaller subset and very active, and I recommend them. Also, I want to say Accelerate, doing a great job with leading in tech technology and mortgage expertise with pre-designed campaigns that can help you enhance the borrower engagement. Also knowledge Group, a wonderful learning management system as well as mobility, MMI and Modix. Both of these companies help you connect with the right loan officers and, and uh, select the right loan officers for your company. Also SnapDocs does a great job uh, on the uh, e-mortgage experience. Uh, they're working um, uh, to bring that experience of the whole e-mortgage thing uh, to a uh, much more effortless approach. So we could go on about that as well as success kit. If you want to have your testimonies told no better way to get business in the door than to get people who are telling your testimony and telling it. Well, that's what success does. Success kit does. They help you get your story told. Well, also lenders toolkit, Love working with Brent Emler and uh, Brett there at Lenders Toolkit. Brilliant software and how they work with lenders. And um, many aspects of the working on the, in, on the connecting your, you to the facts of what's going on. Check out all the services Success Kit, excuse me, Lender Toolkit offers today. Man, I'm off my game here a little bit here. A special thank you to Rob, Les, Alice, Allen, Matt, and of course, Jack Nunnery, who's sharing the microphone with me. The MBA's Mortgage Minute is not available to us. Rob is taking the day off, so we're going to get right over into Les Parker's uh, TM Spotlight and this week's macro view of the markets. Les? TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by PowerSeller, making hedging easy. No more lower rates to feed. No more more options left left to read. read.
3: (laughs) What's to do about it let's put, put out, out the screens the and, and go to sleep.
1: sleep this year expect wild rates as they double last year's range but this week look for the bond buyers to hope for february crude oil futures to find sellers near 78 dollars it closed friday at 75 21 meanwhile the short end and the five-year bears focus on central bank tightening and rising growth prospects so who wins dogs bulls or bears the flattening curve votes for both. So mortgages stand bewildered. What to do about it? Let's put out the screens and go to sleep. These views are my own. Find out when to turn the screen on at TMspotlight.com. All right. That's good job, Les Parker. That ended a little more abruptly, but love their contribution to the podcast with what they do each and every week. So also, get signed up for Les's um, newsletter. You can do so by going to tmspotlight.com and putting in the word power to have access to his per, um, paid per subscription. And uh, check it out. We encourage you to do so. Matt Graham is here with us. Matt, my uh, screens are kind of going nuts. Or Is there something wrong with my computer? Or are we having uh, just a bond market falling apart here? What's going on?
0: Hey, happy New Year from the bond market. Yeah. Unless yeah. unless uh, low rates make you happy, then it's not happy. So, yeah, uh, bonds are tanking today. This does happen sometimes when we begin a new week, month, year, uh, doing all of the above today. And uh, London and Tokyo were out on holiday, and that might seem completely insignificant to rates in the U.S., But it's one of several things that, uh, while it may seem insignificant, is contributing to a bit of a snowball sell-off, as we like to say. And uh, the way it does that is via illiquidity. And we have this whole primer on that on MBS Live that I sometimes uh, throw in the commentary there. And we just want to think about illiquidity as not volume, but volume at any given price. And uh, if London and Tokyo are out, there's a lot less cash treasury trading in the overnight session and even in the early domestic session, uh, more so with London being out. And that just means that the skids are greased for easier movement if there happens to be an imbalance between buyers and sellers. So right out of the gate this morning at the 8.20 a.m. CME Open, we saw sellers lined up to sell. And this seems like a very weird concept. It's something that took years for me to appreciate and wrap my mind around Uh, the fact that there are individual people that have an impact on the market when they um, have a trading plan to execute on any given day. And the fact that they can't do that in many cases until 8.20 a.m. And that just, it seems crazy that in this day and age of electronic trading, that somebody couldn't take action on that in the overnight trading session or a couple hours before the open, but we see it time and time and time again. And I have a chart in this morning's commentary that even shows the volume surge, huge, huge surge in volume at 8.20 a.m. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously a big pickup in selling. That was the heaviest selling of the day, and we've had linear weakness since then. Uh, it's, you know, pretty sizable. MBS down half a point. Tenure yields up 11 bits and change to one62 That's right in line with uh, the technical level that we're watching at 1.62, and it's also a Fibonacci level for those that are into that sort of thing. But I think the question is, you know, why are we selling and what does it mean in the bigger picture? As to the why, um, you'd have to go back to the bigger picture to answer that. So we're going to kill two birds with one stone and say, you know, we've been selling in general since August of 2020, um, it got a little bit carried away in early 2021, and then we rebounded with some help from the Delta variant. Then selling picked back up, got some help from Omicron, and now we're in this indecisive time frame where, you know, Omicron obviously is creating a lot of case counts, but there's hope, speculation that it will not create as much severe illness, hospitalization, death, et cetera, and does not have as much of a disruption on the economy, although that definitely remains to be seen uh, but there's enough hope out there that it's not doing the same thing to the market that Delta did. And um, every passing day that that continues to be the case, the bond bears continue to have a leg to stand on. And then, you know, with this, uh, this morning's illiquidity and a boatload of corporate bond issuance, which adds pressure, upward pressure on rates, generally speaking, uh, while we're in the early phase of the corporate issuance process, it was more than enough to tip the scales to trip stop-loss levels and uh, create a little bit of a snowball sell-off in the bond market. As for that bigger picture trend and consolidation, we're still in the middle of a consolidation pattern, meaning we have two converging lines making a triangle or a pennant pattern. And uh, the breakout from that triangle will be potentially informative as to the next leg of momentum. And for those following along at home, if we are using 10-year yields, that's going to be somewhere around 1.6. 5 to 1.7 on the high end. And if it were to happen today or in the next week or two, around 1.43 on the low end. So that would be the, the consolidation range in terms of 10 year yields right now. MBS mortgages, thankfully, you know, when Treasury yields are rising as fast as they are, mortgages typically outperform. Today is no exception. Um, if we're looking at MBS yield spreads versus 10 year yields, uh, in fact, even versus a five, 10-year blend, which is even less a so favorable comparison to MBS, we are at the lowest levels since mm, the beginning of December, so in roughly a month, which is good news, and right in the middle of the yield spread range going back to the beginning of 2021, so no major drama to report on that note, um, just potential drama in the sense that, you know, things could get worse before they get better, but I would Urge the audience not to read too terribly much into the first trading day of the year, especially when two key overseas markets were out of the office for the day. Uh, We're still waiting, really, to get a read on what momentum is going to be like uh, in the week ahead and the month ahead and the year ahead. But, you know, not a great way to start the new year. Hopefully uh, things will improve as the week progresses. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, It's, it's
1: really interesting to see just how harsh it has fallen off it is it's
0: I wonder if it's that or are there other
1: contributing factors, or is it just that
0: yeah you know i uh, I always want to know what those other factors are my whole life, especially yeah. the first five ten years I did this i I relentlessly sought to connect market movement to news headlines, economic data, something that was happening uh, today it's it 's the fact that the clock turn 8.20 a.m., honestly, yeah. um, the fact that the market opened. Uh, there's you know, corporate bond issuance. We're not seeing a discrete connection between an individual event or news headline or piece of economic data and a surge in volume or selling. Really, the only connection in that sense is the 8.20 a.m. CME open. And uh, it's not satisfying, and I'll be the first to admit that. I love to find those connections when they legitimately exist, and we're not seeing any today. And if there's going to be a time of year or, or week or month when that happens, the very beginning um, is nearly as good of a time as the very end. But uh, those you know closing bells, especially annually, and the opening bells, so first day of the new year, we can often see – Volatility that doesn't necessarily have a a great explanation other than the the general assumptions that um, I've, I've run down a few times now.
1: Well, it is a most interesting way to start out the new year. So but your service is outstanding, you're busily writing out notes and sending it out to all of us, keeping <laughs> us informed as best you can. You do a great job. Thank God in markets like this, days like this, we have a service like yours and encourage our really? listeners to sign up. You can do so by going to mbslive.net and put in L-O-L for looking at letter as a sign-up code and get an extended trial without a credit card. Matt, You're going to be a busy guy, it looks like, today, answering a lot of questions, reading some of the commentaries we're sitting here today. So uh, we'll let you get back to, otherwise, unless you have anything else. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you very much. Alice, good to have you here with us. And now we're going to use this time, Alice, to talk about people blowing up my – My text box here with all kinds of questions. How are you guys doing this? What are you hearing out there? So anyway, Alice Alvey, CMB Vice President of Education and Training at Union Home Mortgage. Good to have you here with this week's legislative update. So Alice, have anything specific to start off with? Otherwise, we'll get into a discussion about the whole vaccine mandate that seems to be occupying a lot of people's minds right now.
4: Yeah, it certainly is. Well, and I think it's a great topic to kick off here because that really is one of the biggest pieces of legislation that's impacting our companies, not necessarily mortgage regulation specifically. Uh, so from, you know, for a 2022 look ahead legislative, we, we don't have a lot of rocky waters that we're aware of today. As y'all know, anything mm-hmm. can happen on any given day. And, you know, we'll certainly watch for uh, remote online notarization, Ron, to be able to continue Ron. to move forward. But I'd love to to talk about that, uh, Dave, that, you know, we're all faced with on uh, January 9th, there's the regulation that goes into effect that would require companies with more than 100 employees to have everybody either prove that they've been vaccinated and then fully vaccinated, I think, by February 9th. Uh, or they are going through a testing regimen, you know, if you're not vaccinated, you're then uh, getting tested regularly somehow uh, in in order to meet the requirements. So I'm not here to kind of talk through what the specific requirements are of the law or how each company may have to go about it. It's more about just I think it's I'm really hoping the Supreme Court comes in and throws this thing out because I just from my vantage point, just me personally, not a union home thing, I, I think it's a real impact to your company culture to now mm-hmm. have to really put front and center. People are very passionate about this issue, right? And everybody on each side feels they are, uh, I shouldn't say everybody. There are a lot of people who feel a hundred percent right and have no understanding of the other side. And when I say right, I don't mean right or left politically. I mean, they just feel that they're right. <laughs> they're correct. Uh, correct. Um, yeah. And 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 I respect that, right? I respect if someone feels very strongly that everybody should they have social responsibility. Everyone should be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. I respect those who feel no. Do not force me. I do not want to be vaccinated. Uh, it's unfair that I have to be tested when anybody is capable, at least from some of the things I read, of being able to transmit the the flu. So this flu virus. So you know, they're both sides have. Their arguments oh, yeah. and yep. it, that now puts it front and center at your company and for people to have to face when they're coming into the office and it becomes a, a cultural issue. I think. So. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I want to get a little bit of discussion on this because it's interesting perspective on what's happening out there. Uh, we're hearing throughout as this rolled out. As soon as we saw the whatever circuit court it was that uh, overturned the stay that was out there. This became a live issue and it really surfaced the last week as some of the many, many companies sent out an email saying, you know, the vaccine mandate is policy and we're going to have to respect it. And I've seen different companies. I've read a number of companies and how they responded to this. And some of them have said, you know what, they, they went down the path. You went on to Alice, just a minute is, a minute ago, and they said, you know, we're not going to comment on do we like this or not. I mean, it's a federal requirement if you look at this and worry the federal, you know, the banks are, you know, we're insured, but anyone who's working with in mortgage industry is basically in some way, you know, feels very much that oversight. And so um, by the federal government, so many are requiring that. Um, I started hearing that we're starting to have a, a good number of resignations. Uh, that if people are just fed up with it. I don't know of anybody that's blowing it off. Uh, but I, what this is doing is causing for the discussion to happen. And so uh, we'll just hopefully, well, like you said, hopefully we'll see the U.S. Supreme Court throw this whole thing out, get done with it, get back to work so we can not worry about it. But one provision that's interesting here is the provision that if you work from home, if you are a remote worker – You are exempt from this. And so there are a number of people that are saying, if this, in fact, goes through, if the Supreme Court does not, they're going to say, they're just telling their staffs, go remote. And uh, as they look at how to navigate through this, uh, several companies are seeing this as an opportunity to recruit. And so wherever you land on this, and we're going to get the opinion, and I want to get over to you, Jack, and get your thoughts on how you were, you know, again, you recently tired out of Texas Capital Bank. I mean, that's a federal institution, and, I mean, it's one of those things. What are you hearing out there?
3: Well, you know, David, you know, first of all, historically, there have been vaccine mandates before. Uh, I think the first one was in 1905. The state of Massachusetts mandated a vaccine for smallpox. And then Mm in the 70s, the federal government started vaccinating children for polio and measles and rubella, Mm -hmm. tetanus. It was like seven common diseases that uh, uh, the federal government uh, started initiating uh, a mandate to have uh, the children vaccinated. And, you know, now you can't get your kid into school. They don't have a certain list. Of vaccines uh, uh, before they you know start a school year right? Um, right, and and so you know there there is historical precedent. Now, obviously, you know there's there's a lot of energy around this vaccine, mm-hmm. you know, both with Another the statement. efficacy of the vaccine and the safety of the vaccine that maybe didn't exist, you know, when it was. You know, measles and mumps and uh, 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 tetanus and, you know, those diseases that we've known, you know, ever since we've been around, David, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but, but there is historical precedent uh, that, uh, uh, you know, has been established around mandating vaccines.
1: I know there has been, but there, but this one is unique. It's because of the so much of it, how it's been politicized. I was on a phone call last night with family member, and and with an end. Got off that call, got another call from a client. What are you hearing other companies doing? And and they're trying to navigate through this. And so it is a it's the political the toxicity that's in the political discussion discord on this, and the opinions that are out there that are all over the map. I mean, we were out to dinner yeah. um, for New Year's. Eve with some friends, and they were quoting some things that, as if it were fact, and we had just listened to a doctor who's probably one of the most renowned epi. What's it? Epid. What's yeah, what? what uh, I'm getting it wrong. I have, I have it in my head. I get it out of my mouth wow, the guys that study the the vaccines and the efficacy of all that. But an epidemiologist is that what it is? Did I get it right? Get it out of my head. Correct.
3: That's close but, enough for me, David.
1: Well, but the bottom line is is that I mean they were quoting with as if it was fact with fervor that you know one of the things was as you know once you've had COVID like I just recently had COVID are you forever immune or not? And this doctor who's on there we listened to this very renowned doctor very celebrated says no, you are you are immune for life if you have that. Well, at the dinner table, whether you agree with that or not, it's a doctor who's highly probably one of the leading top three doctors in the nation on this you know personally i'm gonna go with that guy's opinion on this whether i how i handle it (laughs) but it's just the the whole um toxicity around this discussion and the, and the opinions that are there. So it, it's really going to create a challenge for many, many uh, lenders out there. How do they navigate this? Um, several are saying, we're going to pick up all the employees that get that choose to exit. We're taking an approach that if you're uncomfortable with this, you can work from home. Uh, several companies are setting up testing facilities in their building or in their office, buying the kits and sending them out um and so that they can comply and saying don't worry about this get back to work and i think those that are um going to take a proactive stance rather than what i'm seeing some companies do i'm looking at one particular email from one company whereas you know you you got to comply and uh, there was there weren't a, there wasn't as much focus on the alternatives work from home or getting the tested or what they were doing to help companies get tested as there are uh some other companies. So, so some companies are going to seize on this and make a real opportunity out of it. So it'll be interesting. Uh, let's get to some of the questions that are coming in, uh, Alice. Uh, I know you can't, and nor would you, nor would I, ask you to comment about Union Home uh, and policy on this. But what are you, Have you heard any, what other companies are doing? Um,
4: so just like you said, Dave, I think it's uh, no one's. Not a lot of companies are. Um, putting their foot down today, there's always this, let's wait for the Supreme Court decision on the 7th. A lot of other companies are preparing, uh, like you said, Dave, for, you know, are we going to just offer the tests for free for folks? Do we need to start buying those up to have in supply? Um, Mm -hmm. I am, uh, no way uh, is any of this a reflection on Union Home at all, Uh, but I think uh, for me, like for the preparedness is, if you decide as a company that you've got to uh, put the testing in place and have the uh, verification of the vaccine, that you spend some time understanding how your partners feel about that, your team members feel about that. Make sure that there's a lot of open dialogue about it. Uh, I love the idea of just let people work remote. There you go. Problem solved. Problem solved. <laughs> so this yeah. You know, yeah. because I don't think this is permanent, right? This is where mm-hmm. we're at today with it, I hope. And uh, maybe there's some uh, ability to have this repealed in the future. But I think uh, that would just be my note to everyone. You know, if whatever policy you decide makes the most sense for your company, uh, I would recommend to make sure that you also talk to people about how they feel about it, uh, make sure they understand that, you know, um, I think you're always in in trouble when you say I'm doing it because the law says I have to, and I don't agree with it. That right there, if that's coming from leadership, that sets the wrong tone. Uh, So there's got to be a way to say how we're going to do this. We're going to make it work and how we're going to work together uh, so that, you know, we're in compliance.
1: Boy, you're getting a round of amens in the chat. Uh, area right now from that is uh, just how you said, uh, articulated. Yeah. So I'm, i reading some of the comments. Jack, I'm going to continue to read. Alan's dialed in. We'll get his perspective in just a minute, but Jack, uh, what are you, any, I know you're kind of retired, so you probably don't talk to as many people, but what are some of the companies you're talking to if you are doing on this point? And I'm going to continue reading these text messages.
3: Well, the couple that I've talked to uh, David you know, are, are going to comply. Um, You know, know, the question in my mind is, is, you know, uh, obviously a number of states uh, took different actions with regards to the vaccine mandate. Uh, uh, You know, some prohibited uh, employers in a state uh, from requiring proof of vaccinations. Some states you know, struck right to the heart and prohibited a vaccine mandate, right? Mm -hmm. I I find the one very interesting in as much that, you know, it just says, you know, we're not prohibiting the mandate. We're just prohibiting the employer's right to document that you've been vaccinated. Um, You know, so, you know, the the January 7th Supreme Court, uh, uh, you know, Trial date, you know, will be interesting, you know, to see how it really uh, uh, deals with uh, what. There's about 20 states out there right now uh, mm-hmm. that you know, moved against the vaccine mandate in some fashion or form. So, uh, you know, I'll be antenna up on on January 7th. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. the solution that Al. Uh, you know, put out on the table with work remote is a very eloquent solution to this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, unlike a couple years ago, David, when the workforce really wasn't oriented to work from home, we are now, right? I mean, we went through the pandemic and, you know, uh, uh, people, you know, got into the rhythm of, of working from home i've always said you know anybody can work from home, but it just takes you about a year to get very proficient at it right and and so now as a workforce you know we have become proficient at 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 working from home, so a return to that type of structure uh you know shouldn't be too hard yeah we were we we got used to it and we got used to it much more quickly.
1: Uh, a lot of the comments are coming in here. Uh, I see this as an opportunity. Uh, one, uh, Again, we don't know what companies are representing, but one, our company may absolutely came down, landed on it hard. Our company's leadership is more bent to a liberal stance on this. They're very supportive of this. They're seeing this as an opportunity. We've already started seeing some resignations as a result of this uh, within our group, um, uh, the branches are trying to figure it out. I mean, many of them are just going to start working from home. So it, it, it's all over the map. And it's not—it's very predictable because it's going down the lines of what we talked about earlier. This is one of those issues, very polarizing. You're either on the left or right on this one. And uh, a lot of people are just putting in a lot of opinions out here. Just get it. I mean, it's not that much, not that big. Alan, what are you seeing in the tech world? What do you think?
2: Well, on the tech side, it doesn't really affect very much other than the person-to-person face-to-face relationship building and implementation and training. But when you think about it, the the folks that support and build technology, they they already like working at home in the dark and they work all hours of the day and night. So I I can't say it doesn't affect them, but business as usual for a lot of them, it's it's the the running of a business of the tech side that obviously gets affected just like everything else.
1: Yeah. Well, we could go on and on on this topic. A lot of a lot of comments coming in on the on the chat line here. So I um, appreciate that. But let's move on over to you, Alan. Alice, thank you for the update. Good job. Uh, let's get over to the tech update. We've got Alan Pollack, as you heard, here with us for the weekly tech update. Alan?
2: Well, Happy New Year. Good to be here. I'm happy to say 21, uh, honestly, for me, was a fantastic year. So yeah. I'm excited to have an even more fantastic year in 22. Um, you know, David, I'll give, I'll start off with the surprise news, right? This is super surprise. Officially, as of today, BlackBerry is ending their mobile phone business. I don't know if you even remember them, but they still are trying to be in the business. And as of today, it's all over. Um, you know, getting back to the pandemic conversation, we just had on a separate topic, you know, obviously a lot of flights are being canceled right and and i guess the first thing i think of is is how is ai being used right there has to have been in the last year and a half some type of data that tells us how often that can be matched up with other data how often are the the likelihood of people to call out of work sick and the fact that you know you have x amount of um, travelers that may be sick and you know to kind of be ahead of it, right, in front of it, and have not, people not stranded in the airport in, a, in an even more dire situation. Anyways, United Airlines – I can't answer that question, David, but United Airlines mm-hmm. is offering three times pay to pilots right now if they're able to be at work and can fly. So we're in a def- definitely in an interesting wow. position. And I, I did see something yesterday that due to the pandemic and the new surge of cases that the airline industry is potentially going to bust. And I don't know if that's true or not, or if it was an opinion, an op-ed, but um, I thought that was interesting to mention. So the Stresses let's and constraints, certainly
1: are, are there. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. Let's talk about more complex things, right? 2022, David, the last item of this year I want to bring up: um, it's a do-or-die year for Congress and big tech. And there's a great <sighs> article at TechCrunch if you want to check it out. They're basically talking about all the proposals to update competition laws online privacy rights protection from kids and even more importantly right protection from harm on the internet with 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 children as well and hoping that there's bipartisan support so be a big and interesting year for how much power and control does big tech have and can can government step in and actually add some protection and privacy rights to all of us so look out for that as the year continues so everybody has seen david the 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 TV ads that talk about unwanted subscriptions, right? Um, Truebill is the name of the company. You can connect it to your bank accounts, which, by the way, uses a technology we all use in mortgage, um, just like the Plaid technology, where it connects to your accounts. You put in your username, and password, and it aggregates down your data. Right? Hopefully, by now, a lot of us are using data aggregation. Well, do you know that Rocket just acquired them for 1.275 <laughs> billion? Um, so Truebill is, is yes, they scan your bill and they help you deactivate, but they also were a platform to help you negotiate better bills. There's been a lot of different advertising campaigns. They were doing about 50 billion monthly transactions. They were tracking spending. They were helping people build budget. They were also looking to help monitor and improve credit scores, very similar, less, the same but different, right, to Credit Karma and Lower My Bills and a lot of these other ones out there. Anyways, at the end, Truebill's CEO had said that they are aligned with Rocket because they will leverage the power of technology to remove the friction of complex transactions. And really, David, what does this get into? We've talked about it a few times personalized experiences. And Jack, I, I can't see through the phone, but I'm sure you're shaking your head up and down because know your customer KYC. You do not just have to be a financial institution to understand who your customer is and provide them. With a personalized experience. But looking at all of these non bank lenders and looking at the technology, they're leveraging data, they're leveraging advertising and marketing, things that aren't just about the market transaction. And they're using that to help people understand that there's more to how to facilitate a better well being beyond just getting a lower rate on a refinance or buying a home that fits within your means. Um, so you 're going to see more of this throughout the year but but very interesting, so again, if you didn 't hear the first part of that rocket mortgage has acquired true bill for so one point two seven five billion, which is a huge huge number okay let 's move on to a couple of things. Uh, we talked David last time, I missed last week, unfortunately, but I did talk about data breaches and real quick we 're going to spend the next couple episodes going into it and i 'm talking to bring someone on the program that actually is a cybersecurity data analyst, somebody that gets into the data to help you understand exactly what you're going to do. But let me just tell you, Housing Wire has um an amazing article that talks about um headwinds confronting mortgage in 22. And they talk about operational risk and key performance indicators. But you know what they you know what they don't talk about? And we can talk about that article next week. They don't talk about security of data. And mm-hmm. I think that's a huge headwind that we have. Every day there are more data breaches. Imagine – we've talked actually about this in the past too. Imagine your, your homeowner, your prospective new buyer wires money to a fraudster and winds up not being able to get that money back in time to close on that property. Right? That's another type of data breach. That's something that you need to be very cautious of, and you play an important role in this process. So anyways, what do you do in the event of a data breach? And I'm going to start off with just the very first one, David. Uh, We'll get into some of the other ones. But you need to identify the source and the risk, the extent of that breach. If you're a technology vendor, you need to figure out where it's coming from and shut those services down immediately. And if you're a mortgage lender or a service provider that's attached to any company that had a breach, you need to do the same thing. You need to immediately identify, is, this, is it a one-time event? Is it ongoing? Do you need to pause your systems? Do you need to move to a manual phone call process to take apps while you can temporarily disable your site? These are things that you need to think about. Extremely important to minimize the risk and understand how it happened and where it happened. That's the number one thing. And the second thing I'll leave you with today, David, and we'll get into more detail starting with the second item next week, is you need to mobilize a team. And you should know who the team members are before a data breach actually happens. The very first one that you need to know is you need to know legal counsel, insurance, and forensics. You need to have these folks involved. Your CISO or your CIO would be the one to put these together. So we can talk more detail about that next week. It's a fantastic topic so that it is a positive experience should anything ever happen to you. 2022 is the year of zero data breaches, fingers crossed, right? But we do need to be ready in the event that one does happen. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. And that's all for this week, David.
1: Good, good. Want to get a hold of Alan? Send him your comments and things you'd like to have him comment on or talk about at alan, A-L-L-E-N, at tms com. Alan, thank you so much for being here. Uh, that wraps up the first part of the podcast, which is the weekly mortgage update. We're so glad to have you here. We're going to move right into the hot topic segment. Uh, so let's do so now. Welcome to the Licking on Lending Hot Topic segment. It is January third, two thousand twenty-two. Getting used to saying that. Uh, happy New Year, and uh, we caught up with Shada Arrington. Arrington, excuse me. We caught up with Shada Arrington. So again, we just caught up with uh, Shayna Arrington, who's the Chief Compliance Officer at The Money Source, and uh, she's going to share some great information with us. So let's get into that interview. Folks, we have in the Hot Topic segment today our special guest, Shayna Arrington. She is Chief Compliance Officer at The Money Source. Shayna oversees compliance across all business channels, including correspondence, servicing, subservicing, and formally the company's retail and wholesale Origination channels. This includes oversight of the company's legal and regulatory compliance, change management policies and procedures, quality control, compliance testing, licensing and examinations. She is one busy person. Before joining PMS, Shana worked at a mortgage banking focused law firm where she served as outside compliance counsel to a variety of lenders and servicers. She has extensive government and regulatory experience, including time at the Department of. HUD and the Department of Justice. So excited to have this and uh, share with you listeners this interview that we recorded. Shana, good to have you on the podcast.
5: Thanks for having me today. It's good.
1: I'm looking forward to it. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself. So they you to know who Shana is.
5: Sure. So, I like to say I am a recovering attorney now that I'm in-house. I started my career in Washington, D.C., working for the federal government at what I like to call the alphabet soup of government regulatory agencies in the financial services space. So, I worked at FINRA, FBI in their financial crime section, SEC, Department of Housing and Urban Development in DOJ. And then when I left government service, I went into private practice and I worked at a law firm within the mortgage banking space. And my clients were primarily mortgage banking, lenders, servicers, vendors, all within the industry. And then almost five years ago now, I came over to the money source and I've been in house ever since.
1: Well, that's awesome. Well, it's a great firm and we're thrilled to have you here. And as your title suggests you've got deep expertise in the area of compliance. You know, there's a lot going on these days in the area of mortgage servicing. What are some of the hot topics that you're hearing about as it relates to mortgage services that we are facing, especially looking we look into 2022,
5: Shana? That's a great question. And I think the obvious answer is loss mitigation and then hmm. navigating forbearances and post-forbearance relief in the middle of an ongoing pandemic. I hear a lot about you know, post-pandemic servicing. And I think to myself, post-pandemic, we're still in the (laughs) middle of it. And, you know, if that doesn't sound like a heavy enough lift on its own, keep in mind that the regulatory environment around COVID relief is still changing rapidly, especially at the state and the local level, meaning that there are still state legislatures and executives out there as well as local governments that are putting out new guidance seems like daily, uh, especially if you do business like we do in all 50 states and you're trying to keep up, they're trying to protect their constituents. And so we're constantly monitoring what's going on at the state and local level to make sure that we're staying on top of things like, foreclosure protections, housing assistance fund programs as those go live in all 50 states, and any other relief measures around COVID that are continuing to evolve. So that's definitely keeping us busy. And then I would say there have been some big changes at the federal level recently, too. The CFPB's Regulation X amendments, which Mm -hmm. amended RESPA in light of COVID-19 concerns, those went into effect in August 30th this year. And then right now we're working on the new FDCPA, Fair Debt Collection Practices Act rules. And that's just been an absolute overhaul to the way that we do business as a servicer and a debt collector. Just a few more hot topics that I wanted to mention because I don't think that we can talk about loan servicing without these really important topics. And that's fair servicing and Mm -hmm. then language access for customers with limited English proficiency.
1: Which really goes to the point. It's why you got to have a subservicer. You got to have someone that is really taking all of this serious. TMS does a great job. We refer to them, the money source, we refer to them as TMS2 because we're TMS1. I don't think we were there at first, day. so we chuckle about that. Well, we had Rick Toma on, Chief Operating Officer with you back in September 27th. We were joking about that, but you guys do a really good job. and I'm impressed with the fact that you have the background that you do inside the Beltway. What should we be paying more attention to? We're hearing more and more about state regulators, as you mentioned in your opening remarks, playing a bigger role in it, but is it viewed as a threat or? I'm searching for the opportunity in all this, what you just talked about, Jana.
5: I will be positive, and I will say opportunity. <laughs> we like to say at TMS, we view our auditors a little bit like a personal trainer, right? So there are days where you don't want to do one more push-up or one more squat, but you do it because you know at the end of the day that you're better for it. And that's right. the way that we like to look at compliance, right? And we're looking at examinations. Our goal is to self-audit. To be Mm -hmm. self-regulatory and find things before any examiner comes in and does. And that Mm -hmm. means that we have tight controls in place. We're always checking ourselves, make sure we're doing things the right way, the way that we say we're doing it strong change management process in place too. And so it definitely is a challenge in these times when you have not only the federal government, you have agencies whose loans we service that are coming out with new guidance all the time. You've got state and local governments now, particularly I think during the last administration when maybe the CFPB was a little bit quieter on enforcement actions. I think we really saw the state step up. And then particularly during COVID, a lot of inquiries from the state regulators on wanting to make sure, I think first from an education standpoint, they understood what was going on with mortgage loans and servicing in their state. And then from a testing perspective, wanting to make sure that we were doing what we said we were doing when it came to a commitment to help their borrowers. And so we have seen a lot more from the states, and I think we will continue to, especially as the new housing assistance fund programs roll out.
1: Well, there's no question it's a very dynamic environment, which we find ourselves in, especially when it comes to compliance, probably more so now than ever. But if you could expand on saying why that is.
5: Well, I'm biased because I'm a compliance officer, so I would say that it's always important. (laughs) But here's what I'll say about compliance. Let's start with in general, right? So for most Americans, owning a home is the single most expensive purchase they're ever going to make in their lifetime, as well as an important opportunity to create that generational wealth. So that's huge. And we know that it's important to understand the financial obligation that they're taking on upfront at the time of loan origination. But the question is what happens afterwards, right? Loan origination, you're anywhere from 30 to 60 days and your deal is done. But for Mm -hmm. most people, there are then 30 years that are left on that transaction where they could run into a myriad of issues that they need help navigating. And then today, add a global pandemic onto that, where we have such a high volume of customers who have been impacted in one way or another. And now they're trying to figure out how to recover financially in a way that allows them to stay in their home and to retain their home ownership. And so it's critically important as servicers that we help them educate them on knowing what the best options are for their unique situation and that we do it the right way. And I would say, I know we were talking earlier, you told me that you have a lot of lenders and originators who tune into your podcast. So If you're out there listening as a lender, as a mortgage loan originator, and you're thinking, why should I care about servicing? What's in it for me? I just closed the loans. The answer is retention. One, you want to keep your customers happy. And whether you're servicing your own loans or you have a subservicer who does it or you're selling them off, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you want to make sure that your customers are being treated well so they'll continue to come back to you for origination services and any other services you might provide. And then two, right now, there are a lot of great options out there, especially on agency loans that will allow for delinquent borrowers become current again without negative impact to credit. And if it's executed correctly, that's huge because those customers are going to be able to put themselves back into a position where maybe they'll be able to qualify for refinance in the future at a lower rate or even restore their financial position so that they could have an opportunity to then use that lender or originator again for a second home, an investment property, whatever it is. And for a lot of affected borrowers, there is a low-impact way out of this if, and that's a big if, they know what their options are, and they're being educated, and their accounts are being handled appropriately. And so that's critically important, and it's our job as servicers to make sure that that's happening across the industry.
1: When you look at the regulatory landscape, is this beginning to create greater headwinds where you anticipate less and less people getting into servicing or going to the positive side? Is this creating really an opportunity when it's done right?
5: Oh, that is a great question. I'm going to split the answer and say it should go (laughs) either way. I think you see a lot more originators out there than you do servicers and the cost to enter for origination is much lower for servicing to start a servicing shop and build from the ground up there is so much infrastructure that needs to be built out in terms of not just compliance your policies and procedures your operationally how are you going to implement these things you have to show all that stuff to get the approvals you need not even to mention technology and the list there And so I think the cost to enter servicing is extraordinarily high. So I don't know how many new servicers we will see. But what we are seeing are a lot of lenders starting to retain their servicing rights for the first time and going with a subservicer or private label. And that's definitely grown in the past two years, particularly since the pandemic.
0: And
1: I think when you're saying there's not going to be as many new servicers, you're talking about those bringing it in-house. There still will be an opportunity to service, and there's economics that suggest this is a tremendous good move. But more and more people need to rely on a third party, such as PMS, the money source that does such an outstanding job of staying on top of this, hence this interview. I want to talk a little bit about the new Fair Debt Collection Practice Act. How big a change is this, and what should our listeners know about these new rules?
5: I'm so glad you asked this question. It is a huge change. I'm actually really surprised that it's not being talked about more in the mortgage servicing space right now where many of us that service loans can be considered debt collectors. On the servicing side, I would say that it's probably the biggest change we've seen since the RESPA mortgage servicing rules went live under the oh, new wow. CFPB. Or on the origination side, I would compare it to TRID. It is just a complete overhaul.
1: So, Shana, why is this new rule even here? What's in it that we need to know about?
5: Well, the purpose of the rule change was really to modernize the regulations to align with today's debt collection practices. So the old rule, it really only referred to phone calls from debt collectors and letters being sent. And we know that today we have all sorts of communication methods. We've got emails, text messages, Mm -hmm. social media, all kinds of electronic communications that previously, they just didn't exist when the rule was written before. And so- the new rule accounts for that, and it doesn't just account for these types of communications, but it contains extremely specific rules about a customer's ability to then control those communications through a series of borrower preferences. Things like as nitty-gritty down to specific days, call times, even locations about This is convenient or this is inconvenient for you to contact me. And the servicer, really the debt collector, needs to pick up on those things and then comply with them. In terms of modernization, there are also rules in there for validation of email addresses and their source before you can use them Mm -hmm. for ongoing text message consent. And they actually just launched uh, really recently a new database that needs to be checked for reassigned phone numbers before you send a message that could potentially disclose the debt to a third party. So there are all sorts of new requirements. They're in plain sight if you read through it, but it is lengthy. (laughs) And at TMS, we like to call it the FDCPA mountain that we're climbing right now. Although I'll tell you, I have two kids, and I think that the FDCPA might actually be more work right now. Although mine are still toddlers, so it's debatable, but they're pretty (laughs) hand-in-hand right now in terms of taking up my day in terms of attention and resources.
1: When you have toddlers at home, I'm not sure there's anything that's more uh, daunting task than that. So if you're comparing the two, that gives us an insight into <laughs> how, how daunting this one is. I think it's really important to look at that uh, the time it takes that you put into preparing it. And you look at your background, again, going back to the introduction and your background. I mean, it's so extensive. You're well-equipped when many are going to be struggling. There's a lot of talk lately about fair servicing, what exactly does that mean and how are servicers responding or how should they be
3: responding?
5: Sure. So I think that honestly, people in the industry are still figuring it out. When we talk Mm -hmm. about fair lending, that's something that's pretty well established nowadays. We Mm -hmm. all know what the rules are, how to comply, how to test it, but we can't really say the same thing for fair servicing today. It's really a developing concept. I remember a couple of years ago at TMS, we tried to find a vendor to audit us for fair servicing compliance. We wanted to go out and hire somebody to do it, and we actually couldn't find anyone who offered it as a service. It was just unheard of at the time. And that's starting to change today. There are now a handful of vendors that will do it, but as an industry, we certainly have a long way to go. So when I think of fair servicing, and we kind of started with a blank late because we actually developed our own fair servicing audit in-house when we couldn't find anyone to do it. And so I like to think of it as it's most basic. It means you're treating your customers fairly in the servicing of their loan and that you're not discriminating based on any type of federal or even state prohibited basis. Mm -hmm. So in servicing, you would think about things like In loss mitigation, did you maybe unknowingly deny more black borrowers for a loss mitigation option than you did for white borrowers? Or maybe did you call your Spanish-speaking borrowers who are in delinquency with the same frequency or the same call times when you're talking about how long do you talk to them for that you called your English-speaking borrowers? Or did you, maybe you look at referral to foreclosure and how do you break that down by protected class? And so there's all sorts of stuff that you can dig into here, and I would point out that discrimination doesn't have to be overt to be present. So you can have a policy or a practice that looks consistent on its face. Okay, this is how we treat all of our borrowers, but it could have an unintended disparate impact. And you wouldn't know that until you dig into the data. So just like in originations, you've got to dig in and you have to know the story that your data is going to tell.
1: You just touched on a couple of things. number one, about the language, and while we're on the topic about fair servicing, what about the borrower with limited English proficiency? I know this has been a hot topic of CFPB, but what should servicers be doing to help those type of customers with limited English proficiency?
5: I'm glad you asked this question because this is one of my passion projects at TMS right now. I firmly believe that at the end of the day, as servicers, we are there to help our borrowers. And we can't do that if we can't communicate with them. So we have to meet our borrowers where they're at. And that includes communication methods, how they prefer to be communicated with. And it also includes language preference, too. So if you have a borrower who needs help... Most of the time, it's because they don't understand what's going on with their mortgage. And as servicers, we have the opportunity to step in and educate them. And if you can't do that in the language that they need, you need to figure out how you can get that, how you can meet them there. And, I mean, I understand there are a lot of languages out there. It's a tall order to say, hey, this is what we should be doing as an industry. But it's one that we need to be working on. I don't think it's something that we can look at say, oh, this is too complex for today, and then just put it back on the shelf. you have got to be nice. chipping away at it. It's just one piece of the puzzle at a time.
1: You know, you also talked a little bit about the timing and when calls are made. What's behind that?
5: So under Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, there are set timing requirements. It is, I believe it's eight in the morning to nine o'clock at night, local time. There are states that have other restrictions. So I'm just going to call that out. It's not just the federal rule. You need to look at your individual state requirements as well. But under the FDCPA's new rules, a borrower can designate to you that a particular time or place is convenient or inconvenient. So you could be on the phone with a, a borrower and they could say, oh, you know what, I actually work until 6 o'clock every day, so please don't call me until after 6 o'clock. And as a servicer, we have to note that in our system. And not only does it need to be in the system, but we need to stand by that. Meaning, so if we have automated call campaigns that are going out, we need to pull that phone number out for anything that's going before 6 p.m. Or if they say, don't call me on Mondays, or don't call me on my cell phone, or whatever it is, we have to account for that. And then we need to be able to operationalize that and comply with what they're telling us.
1: Now, it goes to the point, it's getting more and more complicated. And that's why we have to have a subservicer that really helps us. And TMS does such a good job on that. When you're looking at the times, is this complicated also the fact that many people are working from home these days? And so they're home, but we can't call them during those times. I'm just looking at the dynamics of this. It's a significant complications in there that you're facing?
5: There certainly are. We like to think of it as a challenge. And you know, at TMS, we're always up for the challenge. But this Mm -hmm. one, there are just a lot of pieces in play. When you're looking at phone numbers, you need to look at what type of phone number. Is it a mobile? Is it a work number? Because there might be different rules for mobile numbers under the TCPA, the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. There might be different requirements for employment numbers. A lot of states have requirements around When you can and can't call employer numbers, what times of the day, how many times a week or a month, we've had to program that into not just the FDCPA requirements, but the state requirements. And a lot of it just comes down to technology. What systems are you on? And do they have the ability to sort of ebb and flow and change with the rules as they change or as your implementation process change. And we're really lucky at TMS we have an incredible in-house technology team and we actually decided for a lot of this stuff, even though we have vendors whose platforms we use to build it out in-house because we wanted it built in a way that worked for us, for our business, for our customers. And so almost everything that we built under this rule, we custom built in a proprietary way.
1: I can speak to this because I've been in your facilities, in the Phoenix facility specifically, and I'm so impressed with the training and the technology that you've put in place there. So it's no wonder that you guys are having the growth and success that you are. I want to say thank you, Sheena, so much for coming on. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that is important for our listeners to know about here today?
5: Oh, that's a great question. You know, I'm just going to say that mortgage servicing is complex. And a lot of people, hopefully your eyes haven't glazed over yet and you haven't stopped listening. If you do it the right way, it can be engaging. From a compliance perspective, from a technology perspective, you want to pull your customers in. You want to make sure you're giving them the information that they need, and you want to serve it up in a user-friendly way. And that's what we try to do at TMS. And we've had great success, and I'm going to even say fun doing it. And we look forward to continuing to share that with you and your listeners in the future.
1: Well, we're glad to have you here. The culture in your company is one of those cultures I just admire so much. And it starts with leadership. So, you and Rick Toma and the rest of the team do a great job of bringing a kind of culture where people want to come to work, look forward to it, and then are having fun as much as they can when it comes to the W-O-R-K word, work. But more than the job, you get a sense of that when you're in your office is people really care about uh, what they're doing. And so kudos out to the executive team for all that they're doing there at the Money Source. Great to have you here, Shane. appreciate you so much. And kudos to you for the work you're doing and staying on top of all these ever-evolving regulations. Thank you. Appreciate it.
5: All right. Thank you, David.
1: All right. I enjoyed that interview. She just bubbled, Jack, with so much energy when I was talking with her. And uh would love to get your commentary after we after you listen to that interview. Oops. Okay. I think Jack may be on the – ah, there. I hear you.
3: Oh, okay, good. but I'm still here. Oh, good. Well, you know, she covered a lot. And and you yeah. know the first thing I just want to highlight to our listeners is you know you take what Alan Pollock said about know your customer, um, and and then you know you 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 know look at what Chana was talking about with you know upping uh, the game around client retention, and you put those two together, and you know clearly a winning mortgage operation. Um, you know, it's diving deep within the massive amount of data that they have at the consumer or, or customer level, and and really building out you know um, what their book of business looks like from a client profile, and then to be able to extend that through servicing with a with a, a attentive, good quality experience. Do the servicing process is so critical to raising our retention rates as an yeah. industry from the very low numbers that they're at today, David.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's not one of our shining spots of our industry is how how we retain our existing no. customers. It's it's, it's you know, we it, do a dismal it, job
3: of it. You know, then I thought you, you know really the second thing that uh, Shana hit on that resonated with me is is just the infrastructure that you have to put in place to successfully service in a compliant manner in today's market. You know, um, uh, at my previous uh, stop, uh, we managed about a $14 billion servicing portfolio at its apex. And, you know, clearly, uh, you know, at least in my mind, clearly, the move to outsource that was the, was the correct move. I mean, you know, given all of the federal regulations and, and, and state regulations, the army that I would have had to bring on to uh, effectively manage in that type of environment and, and stay current and fresh, you know, what Alice was talking about earlier in the podcast that, you know, some of these state regs changing daily and, you know, how do you Mm -hmm. keep up with that? Well, you know, you employ people to keep up with that. Right. And, and, and to that extent, you know, the subservicer takes that on as one of the prerequisites for being in that business. And to the origination company, um, you know, they oftentimes, you know, don't feel the same compulsion to make that a string. Uh, they check a box, they want to do a good job at it, but do they excel at it? And the answer is is you know most of them don 't david and and so you know I think a sub servicer makes a lot of sense for many companies
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I agree with you.
3: Let's move on as we wrap up the podcast,
1: Jack, as you think over our, everything we've talked about on the podcast, starting out with the markets and how they're just falling apart, it seems like right at the moment, continuing to see the 10-year treasury climbing up. That's just one of those things like, oh, my gosh. Um, but then also uh, some of the other things we talked about um, with COVID. Any final parting thoughts on all of this?
3: Well, you know, the two things uh, to stay uh, aware of this week is the FOMC December minutes are going to hit the market. Um, You know, clearly in the press conference that chairman Powell had following the December FOMC, uh, you know, a lot of the phraseology turned hawkish with regards to uh, the acceleration uh, of uh, the um, uh, Fed, uh, you know, easing out of the market Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the, propensity or likelihood to see you know up to three interest rate hikes next year so uh, the minutes will be very telling um, uh, to confirm uh, uh, what we already you know believe and that's that hawkish move and then unemployment numbers on Friday um, I think the consensus is four hundred thousand um, you know look we continue to to exist in a very low em- unemployment market, what it was 4.2 percent in November, mm-hmm. is projected to drop to 4.1 percent in December, and you know. And then on the other hand, we have a very constrained labor market. So mm-hmm. um, those are the two things I'm going to be keeping my eye on this week uh, with regards to news out of the market, and uh, certainly G- January 7th with the Supreme Court ruling. Are but, the you know the you know that not I don't know if they'll rule, but that's right you know, yeah, no, it, the rule. Opinion, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The seventh, yeah. January, January um, you know, we we'll will until
1: the Monday until uh, uh, well, actually, I'm just looking at it. The tenth is on Monday, a week from today. So uh, lots to unfold when they meet. Will they cover it and will they make an announcement on the ninth so that we know how to navigate this one week out? It's interesting. Just realize that.
3: Well, you know, and and I think the answer comes back to, uh, you know, finding that middle ground. Uh, You know, Alice, again, talked about corporate culture, and, uh, you know, this will be very divisive to corporate culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the work-at-home solution makes a lot of sense. Look, David, I I managed all the way through 2020 and the bulk of 2021. Um, uh, We were in a work-from-home environment And I don't think there was a single record, whether or not it be profit or volume, uh, that we didn't break in 2020. Um, I would tell you uh, we were very efficient, uh, working, uh, from a remote environment. And, and now that, you know, many of us in the industry already have that, that mental exercise of, of, of being able to work from home. I think, uh, uh, you know one way to navigate through this as as this case law settles out is is to um you know up the game on the work from home again,
1: yep, I think the work at home um is going to be here to stay, and even more so when you look at these kind of situations, more and more companies are are saying we're finding it to be far more efficient yet. Got another call from another bank client who says, our bank is absolutely requiring people to return to the office by this date. Now, it's so yep. interesting to see that date coincides with the ruling on this, so they didn't anticipate this, and they're one of these companies now – to backpedal where their is on it, but it's going to be interesting. We're going to be talking a lot about that in the upcoming um, year as we go through many of the hot topic issues. Jack, I'm so grateful that you have decided to take some of your retirement time and join me on the microphone here. You do a great job, and I appreciate you so much.
3: My pleasure, David. My pleasure. Uh, you know, I, you know, you and I have been in this industry for so long, and you know, it, it is a It is a good thing when you can give back a little bit.
1: It is, and I appreciate you giving back, and you have so much to give back, as we both do. So we're grateful to have the opportunity, listeners, to be there with you. Next week, we're going to have Julian Lumpkin on, talking uh, of success, Kit, and he's going to be talking about his process. I think it's so important how we tell our story. And I always say there's a, there's a great proverb I would quote all the time. It says, let another man's mouth praise you, not that of your own. And I think when we try to tell our own story, we don't do necessarily the best job. I think that's why I'm I'm really excited about our partnership with SuccessKit Kit and hearing what Julian has to say. we are talking about that. Also want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, uh, The Lenders One, as well as Incelerate, Mobility, MMI, Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Coop, Mortgage Collaborative, SnapDocs, and success kit as well as lender toolkit folks have a great rest of your week it's going to be an interesting one with the hearing that we've got coming up on december excuse me december let's move to the calendar page dave come on over to january this friday with the supreme court on the covid mandate vaccine mandate so stay tuned we'll have lots of commentary on that next week great to have you with us everybody have a great week and see you back here next week <laughs>